Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of a Second Chance Stories of Young Offenders. We're your hosts, Calista Lynn, Akshay Kesri, and Sophia Luisi. And today we have a very special guest joining us. He embodies, he embodies the principles of resilience, leadership, and community empowerment. I'm thrilled to introduce you to a man who's dedicated his whole life to fostering positive transformation and envisioning, envisioning a brighter future for children and families across America. Please welcome James Earl Hollywood III. Hi, James. I just wanted us to start. Sorry. I just wanted to start off by saying thank you so much for coming on to our podcast and that we're so happy that we get to hear from you today. Thank you all for the invitation. It's so nice to meet you all. Of course. So, James, can you start by telling us a bit about yourself, your background, your journey to getting where you are today? Sure. I was born and raised in a rural community of Southeast Missouri, uh, born in Tennessee and Arkansas. In my neighborhood, dreams was a luxury. Coming from working class, fatherless homes, and a million steeped in societal challenges, many faced struggles, and some were entangled with the criminal justice system. Throughout my childhood, I couldn't help but wonder why the potential of my friends was often washed away in the system. It wasn't until college that my passion of helping others crystallized, and this zeal grew while working at a local juvenile detention treatment center. The facility hosted about 36 young men. About three of them were white and the rest were black and brown. They faced various charges from sex crimes and assaults to drugs and gang activity. While working 36 hours a week, it seems very minimal to some of our workforce hours that we have today. But working an entire Saturday from 7 a.m. to 10.30, it felt like entirety. As I became more entrenched in this environment, I felt more compelled to make a difference. The facility operated been operating since about the 1980s and it had a rehabilitation philosophy that was vastly different from mine. I saw young people, not as criminals, but as individuals with stories. Unfortunately, the prevailing approach seemed more like a holding cell than a center for rehabilitation to contribute to higher rates of repetitive offenders. Later, I transitioned into uh, a different facility with the same company, and this time, with working with a diverse population of young people that was held in child welfare custody. Some were separated in sex offenders, and there was also a dormitory of young ladies. Working overnight, um, my responsibilities was much different than from the previous facility, the treatment facility, and it involved a lot of one-on-one care to some things like some laundry and meal preparation. Hearing their traumatic stories in a confined space was particularly challenging. My journey continued as I worked from becoming a youth transition specialist, uh, covering the counties in Southeast Missouri all the way up to nearly St. Louis, Missouri for almost four years. In this role, I assisted young people with job placement, education, community support, through a federal program. Despite the progress, a sense of hope was still limited. Driven by growing love for children, families, and communities, 
I transitioned into a role of family engagement, community engagement for a local Head Start program in Arkansas. Here, my focus shifted to policy reform. They involved data analytics, policy evaluation, research, and the aim of making lasting impact. That I I don't have any words to say. That was incredible to hear. I mean, it's clear that your journey is completely all positive principles. So can you share some instances where you've put these beliefs into action and you've seen the positive outcomes that they bring? Specific instances with specific youth. Yes, I like to say that um, oftentimes uh, we often hear that life is a marathon and not a sprint and that there's journeys and there's different milestones. And so I like to also chime in that life is a journey. It's an uphill hill of a hike, of a challenging trail for which you may not have fully been prepared for. And similar to embarking on a hike with the goals of completing it to the fullest, life adventures is about achieving milestones with determination, efforts, and resilience. As a young person like myself that navigated numerous challenges in both personal and professional realm, I have had made some tough decisions and had to face some challenging circumstances and navigated unexpected twists and turns. In the face of such challenges, the critical choices arise, whether to go through them or not, and focus efforts and perspective involve having goals. Having a goal isn't something negative. It provides a destination in which we hope to be or to aim to reach. However, the hard work begun when I encountered challenges, obstacles, and stumbling blocks, and the key lines of navigating these, overcoming them, is what led to some of the positive journeys. When challenges have arised, the approach involved evaluating the situation, following the gut instinct of seeking resources and conducting research and strategizing and simply just trusting the process. Learning has often occurred through mistakes while most people may not have noticed them and some have noticed them and offer support instead of condemning. The willingness to preserve with the end goal in mind were the determinations and the willpower that play pivotal roles in my life. Failing is inevitable, but the essence lies then dusting yourself off and continuing and like the early experiences of myself learning how to ride a bike. I have had, um, personally, I had my first daughter at 16 and a half years old. I left home at a very young age um, to having my own home. And my daughter was born four and a half months premature. And she was born in one of the, um, it was a real bad ice storm in late 2008. And my determination as a young teenager at that time that it really took my heart to really be there for my daughter and care for her and um and love her um the best that I could. And it led to positive results because I have a stellar student now. She's a freshman in high school and um she uh throughout her whole experience of being a preterm baby, we uh her mother and I experienced and saw so many 
uh, young people passing away in the hospital. And thankfully that she was one that survived and she's still with us here today and she's striving and has a passion and a zeal just like a father. Earlier, I spoke about um, working within the local community and they involved uh, making a lot of sacrifices, um, living in Arkansas and driving nearly to St. Louis almost every day. Wages and salary was mostly towards gas. But the passion for those young people that was in my care where I was their youth transition specialist and GED teacher, paid off positive results. We had some young people that had some stories that was dealing with drug addictions, that was dealing with broken homes, that was dealing with being high school dropouts, where everyone else probably failed them, and they had I, and they was able to finish their GED, their high set, and later transition into college and to being productive members of their family and society. And so that was a sacrifice on my part that was that was the hard work, the resilience and determination to give them what I didn't have. And it paid off tremendously because I still have contact with them today where they still thank me for the service that I provided to them. Wow. I mean, what you said was like really inspiring. And I can tell you have like a lot of wisdom and experience in the juvenile justice system field. And James, you previously said that you are a father, um, right? Yes. Yes. Um, um, how many children? Nine. Wow. Amazing. I don't even know how you do it. So <laughs> as a father of nine children, could you share how your experiences as a parent, have maybe influenced your approach to leadership and community service, or did it um, affect, you know, your approaches to leadership and community service? Yes, my commitment to serving my community traces back all the way to formative years in my in my young adult years. It influenced by different positive role models that I had that was raising and nurturing young people that was in my community and neighborhood. Uh, witnessing their dedication left a indefable mark on me and nighting me to follow within their footsteps as I got older, even continuing to this day. However, it is my role as a parent to intensify this commitment and the thought of my children's future, as well as their legacy and other people's children, it engages me into a more profoundly into community service. Complimenting on the impact of today's decision that we make today as leaders and lives ahead for them and their generation serves a powerful driving force. I'm driven by the belief that our children need a tangible example of devotion to things that they love and really care about. It's themselves, the family, the community, the larger country, and the planet at all. Bringing, children, bringing my children to various community events, which I brought two of my young people to a event um, that I volunteered for this past weekend. And those type of efforts and those principles teach us a lot of selfless and putting others first tangible for them and instilling a sense of purpose. And their company, I strive to exemplify of what a man 
should be and devoted to what matters to them. And by fostering a commitment of values that extend to beyond the individuals of the company, family, community, and the broader society. This shared experience not only made a community engagement, but more tangible for my children, but it lays the foundation for a sense of responsibility and purpose that reaches far beyond my personal boundaries. As a father, I'm sure you have your own values and beliefs, but being a minister of the gospel, I'm curious, do your spiritual values intertwine or impact your leadership philosophy (laughs) philosophy and your vision for a systematic future for children and families in America in any way? It's okay, Sophia, we've all had that struggle. I just wanted to say that. Oh, no problem, Sophia. Philosophy and so yes, my leadership and philosophy vision for a systemic future for children and families in America are profoundly influenced by my spiritual values, which is my foundation and the bedrock of my principles. They include truth and honesty, justice, peace, love righteousness, relationships, equity, leadership, integrity, compassion, care, safety, teamwork, responsibility. And these values are my guiding principles as they shape my approach to leadership and influence on systemic changes I envision for the welfare of our children and our society. They provide a moral compass and a foundation for creating a future that reflects these spiritual ideals. And I believe that we have these values in everything that we do of working with our young people and families and communities. We can move a lot more farther than a world of hate and destruction. I know that the year that you you went to jail was uh when i have not been to uh... oh sorry uh no i was gonna say like given your diverse background do you see many similarities or things that haven't changed from when you were a kid growing up that changed till now specifically within the justice system I meant to say like your work in the justice system specifically. Yes, there's, there have been some changes. There have been some slight movements uh, within the justice system. And also we have not moved much farther as a nation and as a people and as a system um, towards some of those things. Um, The need for our young people, they are asking for our attention. They are, they are, they asking for our attention and programs are gradually diminishing and especially in impoverished communities. Um, this decline of opportunities is contributing to concerning trends of where a lot of young people are involved in activities that are more detrimental than what we've seen in the past. Uh, moreover, we are grappling with challenges uh, not prominent than my own childhood, like the uptick in gun violence. Um, 
and they are most impactful among them of some of the things they're influenced by, uh, like social media. Uh, the persuasive nature of social media has introduced a new layer of complexity uh, to the lives of young people and it's affecting the well-being and shaping their experiences in ways that we couldn't have anticipated. This combination of limited opportunities uh, with some of the diminishing programs and services within uh, impoverished communities and social media um, has caused a challenging environment for our younger generation, and it's quite concerning. Uh, addressing these issues requires complexity, uh, comprehensive, collaborative efforts uh, with community and programs and society as a whole. It's uh, critical that we reevaluate and um, that we adopt uh, approaches to ensure that the well-being of these perspectives of our young people are facing and, and these involving challenges today that we are seeing. And so we are definitely seeing some things that I did not see in my in my childhood um, that we are seeing today that we did not consider 10 and 20 years ago. Thank you for that insight. And I'm going to leave the listeners with one final question for you. What advice would you give to young individuals who might be facing challenges similar to those you've overcome in your journey? Don't give up. Um, I believe we need to create spaces for young people to be able to exercise their voice because um, some of the things I saw in my early career by working at the Juvenile Detention Treatment Center, Rehabilitation Treatment Center, is that some of those stories that those young people share with me or that they wrote letters to me to, they never shared those stories with anyone. And I believe that everyone has a story Everyone has a voice. And with those spiritual values that I outlined earlier that I have within myself and I, uh, my, that I still in my family and home life, is that um, it's important that we, we find our ways that we can work together and um, then, the separ uh, then separate because we had a time right now that our young people are asking for attention and they and we really need to hear what's behind that trigger what's behind that mental health what's behind the trauma and only way we're going to know that is if we bring young people to the table and to hear what it is that they are dealing with so that we can compassionately re-envision and reimagine and co-create what a true justice system looks like. Not a punishment system, not a compliance system, but one that is love and compassionate. One that serves a purpose of accountability behind the actions that we do. And so uh, I say not to give up. Um, let's work constructively and strategically creating that platform so that we can bring young people to the table, we can bring systems to the table, we can bring communities to the table, 
and let's co-design of what a true equitable justice system, transformation system really looks like in America, which I have not seen since I've been studying in the field and been working in the field. And I would just say, once again, do not give up. Let's find creative ways to be able to bring about lasting change in America. The justice system for sure definitely needs a lot of work and I completely agree with you. It's not really justice anymore in the justice system. But yeah, those are all the questions we have for you today, James. Thank you so much sincerely for joining us today and sharing your insights and perspectives. Your journey exemplifies resilience and dedication and we're really honored to have had you as a guest on a Second Chance podcast. Thank you for having me, y'all. Of course. Uh, to the listeners, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of A Second Chance Stories of Young Offenders. Till next time, remember that your story is still being written and that there's always hope for a brighter future. We're your hosts, signing off.